I think I've got Bill Dow on the line. Do I, Bill? Yes, you yes, do. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted. Well, it's the Emily T. Gale Talk Story Show, and today it's going to be uh, a Say Nice Things About Detroit show with Bill Dow. I'm in Hawaii, and Bill is in Detroit, and we both are um, big supporters of the Detroit Historical Museum, Detroit Historical Society, and Bill's very involved in an event that's coming up this Saturday with the Detroit Historical Museum. And, and first of all, Bill, just a little background on yourself. And we just met a few years ago because we're both supporters of the Detroit Historical Society. And we've been at events at the Detroit Historical Museum. And, and then I discovered that you've been a, a freelance sports writer for, what, the past almost 20 years? Yeah, right. I actually started uh, doing some freelance writing in uh, 1999, and I uh, and I still do write some sports history uh, for the Detroit Free Press. But I've also written for Our Detroit Magazine, B Business Magazine, Baseball Digest, and so forth. But yeah, I still uh, I enjoy it, and um, I've had some interesting experiences talking to many different people. Well, you've written a lot of stories. I pulled up something today called Muckrake, and it has a list of a lot of the stories you've written, and you and I have talked about it. What I love is that you you really get into the history of these sports uh, personalities that have littered not just Detroit in wonderful ways, but throughout the country, the, the world of sports. But gosh, you were you practiced law for a long time and became a stay-at-home parent? Yes. Did you always want to be a writer? How did that, how did that evolve? Well, actually, you know, I was a co-editor of my high school newspaper at Dearborn High School, and it was around the time of Watergate, and I was wanted to be an investigative reporter. I was really inspired by um, Woodward and Bernstein. Then I went to Michigan State uh, with the idea of journalism, but then I switched to a pre-law political science program, and uh, then went to law school, practiced for 15 years, and then became a stay-at-home dad. Um, and when I was doing that, I started uh, freelancing writing out of the house so I actually was able to eventually do that I did some freelance PR work and um, so I, I absolutely loved it um, writing on these different topics and um, some of the challenges that go with it investigating uh, stories learning about different people interviewing some of my heroes like Gordy Howe and Ted Lindsay Al Kaline Joe Schmidt and um, so I mean it's just and I love Detroit uh, history in general not just Detroit sports history so I was so thrilled when I was at an event, um, gosh, what was it, a year and a half ago, and I saw you. I go, oh, my gosh, Emily Gale. Because I remember seeing you in the store way back when. In fact, I still have a director's chair that I bought at your store that's in my kitchen here in my apartment. Back in the in 1980s, right? Probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I just you're you're a senior major gifts officer at, at Beaumont Health Foundation, so you're you know full time doing that. But you know your your stories that I've read, you do so much research. But it was really a delight to to meet you at the Detroit Historical Museum, and and not only that, it turned out that you bought an auction item that I put into the uh, the annual. Uh, gala in, in December of right. last year when your good friends Bob Burry was retiring and his wife Mary Ann Burry and right. you went to you went to elementary school with Mary Ann at Henry Ford uh, uh, Greenfield Village Henry Greenfield, Greenfield Village yes yeah yep. and, and yeah ended up see you there and then I I bid on that item and I told you that night I said well I had won the item back in January so we were figuring let's do it in the summer so it, I guess it was last August and. 
I said, oh, my gosh, I'd love to go around Detroit with you and show me some of your favorite places. And then you turned it into a really interesting event, inviting a lot of different people to join us. And I had so much fun. And that's when I, you introduced me to the Detroit Foundation Hotel and um, and I loved it. And it's it's a great place. And I, I like all the things that's happening down there. So um, That was, you know, and I'm really... It was born out of the, both of our love for the Detroit Historical Museum because I asked Detroit Foundation Hotel, will you host about six of us for coffee when I start the tour with Bill Dow? And then right. it turned into about 35 people I invited and, and Handlebar Detroit gave <laughs> us the Handlebar to use and, and, and Lisa Niskowski from MoGo. And it was a wonderful day, but it was really a celebration of Detroit Historical Museum that we're, we're both so fond of. And and you and from that time i found out that you were very involved in the the writing of the copy and also a lot of the memorabilia that last october was in the year of the tiger exhibit at the right. historical museum and right. a lot I, of the memorabilia in that exhibit was from your collection right you know what it was is i i had contacted bob burry um you know probably 6 or 7 months um before the exhibit was actually designed with uh, by Tracy Irwin and um, at the museum, and I suggest you know this is the 50th anniversary of the uh, Tigers uh, winning the World Championship in '68, and you know the year following the um, obviously the civil disturbance in '67, which that award-winning exhibit is still there I guess through May. And I thought it was a nice kind of um, to show the following year where. Um, not that it united the city, but it was a nice distraction to have this team that hadn't won anything in 23 years to come from behind so many times. It's such an exciting team. I thought, why not celebrate that 68 championship? So uh, I was thrilled to be able to write the copy for that exhibit and then lend some of my collection as did some others. So it was a lot of fun uh, working on that. Well, I'm sure that, you know, Tracy uh, Erwin Smith, who had to be delighted at your involvement with it. In fact, I know she was because I happened to walk through the exhibit with her one afternoon and then also another afternoon when there was a presentation at the Historical Museum. But, I mean, you're the kind of volunteer that, oh, my goodness, they just, it's what unbelievable blessing that you had those, that memorabilia and would, could spend the time writing the copy for it. But then you segue into another one that you're doing this Saturday you're very involved with Detroit Historical Museum, Detroit Historical Society. You're doing the, it's the Lindell AC, America's First Sports Bar. You're opening that exhibit. It's a fundraiser this Saturday evening from, what, uh, 6 to 10.30? Uh, 6 to 10. Yeah, talk about that. You're going to show the movie, the Lindell AC, which is a wonderful movie. Right. Well, the way it came about, um, the, the idea of doing the exhibit uh, was not mine. Although I've been, a, I've written about the Lindell AC in the past. I used to go down there. This, you know, this very famous sports bar that unfortunately was torn down in 2006. But um, Dan and Denise Zija, who own uh, Melodies and Memories at East Point, uh, Dan, um, a couple of years ago, um, came across a box full of photos that an antique dealer had, and I don't think the dealer knew what he had because it turned out they were 300 photographs that used to adorn the walls of the Lindell AC because that bar was like a museum. It really was America's first sports bar. And so he uh, told Tracy Irwin at the Detroit Historical Museum about having these photographs. So that's how the idea came about. So they're framing all, reframing all these photographs and actually building a bar um, at the uh, Detroit Historical Museum. And um, I'm going to lend some of my memorabilia 
some of the uh, couple items that were in the Lindell AC and then the Boutsakiris family is also um, also do, uh, also uh, lending some of the things they have from artifacts. So, for instance, I've got uh, Ron LaFleur, you know, the story where he was discovered sure. in Jackson Prison and um, a guy named Jimmy Carella, who was a prisoner and a cellmate of uh, Ron LaFleur, knew Jimmy Boutsakiris and he told Boutsakiris about this young guy hitting the ball over the uh, the prison yard, and um, Boots Karras got Billy Martin, then the Tiger manager, to go out, and the story goes from there. You know, he became a an all star. So, um, which is a remarkable story. A movie was made about it. But I've I've got a jersey, one of his jerseys, his spikes from '76, one of his bats, his batting gloves, uh, some of those things like Wayne Walker's jersey, um, the Lion linebacker who uh, actually. He had his retirement announcement at the Lindell AC. He was a, one of the characters there all the time, and he donated his, probably people may know this if they were in that bar, his jock strap. <laughs> they hung out. I don't have that, but I do have the jersey, and I'm, I'm lending that, and uh, some items like that. But what's going to be fun is at 6 o'clock, they're going to show the movie uh, Meet Me at the Lindell, which premiered at the Detroit Free Press Film Festival a couple of years ago. It's a really nice film by... Uh, Jason Danielevich, and um, they're going to show that, and then there will be a time where they're going to have uh, hamburgers, beers, the menu basically that they had at the Lindell. And so, for people who used to hang out there, uh, you may some of the listeners may know of them. Uh, certainly, a uh, long time retired, but uh, Detroit News sports writers Pete Waldmeyer, Jerry Green, Terry Foster, who worked in the bar. Roxanne Foster, his mother, who was, managed it for 20 years. Jim Brandstatter and Robbie Timmons will be there. Dave Rosma, uh, members of the Boots Karras family, and who knows who else will show up there. But it'll be a fun evening sharing stories about the Lindell AC, and it's a fundraiser. Um, you know, tickets are $100 for non-members, $75 for members, and um, they're avail- available at Eventbrite and also at det- DetroitHistorical.org, or they can call the museum at Three one three eight three three one eight zero five. 833 But it should be a lot of fun. It's uh, Bill Dower speaking with a freelance sports writer, but very involved in the Detroit Historical Society, Detroit Historical Museum, and talking about the exhibit that's going to be opening up this Saturday night is the opening of the exhibit, the showing of the movie uh, at Lindell AC, which is a wonderful movie. I mean, I remember the Lindell so well. And the people you have been coming for the uh, panel talk, and Bill, you're going to be moderating, and I've seen you moderate a panel talk of, of people around a sports uh, yeah. situation, and you're you're great at it, and, and what a great lineup, because Terry Foster worked in the kitchen, right? And Terry Foster, right. for years, the Detroit News sports writer, and of course, on the 97-1, and just a prolific writer. He's still doing an awful lot of writing, but how great to have him there, and his mother, as you say, was the manager during those days, but every sports team, every sports person came through the Lindell AC. I mean, when you say America's first sports bar, it sounds, you know, for people that don't realize that there weren't sports bars like that in those right. days. And there, there were, there'll probably never be another one like that. But it was so unusual, right. the, the, the people that used to come through the Lindell AC. Oh, I know. It's a really remarkable story how it became a Detroit institution and then became nationally known for some incidents and some movies that, came out of that bar, but it was founded in 1949 at the Lindell Hotel. It was kind of a seedy hotel at Catherine Bagley in downtown Detroit. Uh, a Greek immigrant, Melitai Boutsikaris, and his sons, Johnny and Jimmy, opened it up. 
And what happened was a lot of visiting athletes and celebrities who stayed at the nearby Leland Hotel and the Sheraton Cadillac kind of adapted the Lindell as a watering hole in a Motor City hangout. Um, it was just a some could some might call it a dive bar, but it had so much character. You know, it didn't have a big menu. You know, onion rings, cheeseburgers, beer, pop, um, French fries, great hamburgers, uh, and it was, became like a home away from home. Um, for those people and for the fans who would also go there. And it was really, it's kind of interesting. It was a suggestion of then Yankee infielder Billy Martin. Uh, he suggested the Boots of Karras, this is in the 1950s when he's playing for the Yankees. He says, why don't you do a sports theme in here? So he started donating some things and so did some other players. And then Johnny Boots of Karras, who's a freelance photographer, uh, covered, did a lot of uh, photography at Olympia Stadium and Tiger Stadium. Um, a lot of those photos that adorn the walls were, were done by Johnny. And it was like, a, I think it was, um, gosh, who was it who said that it was like a um, a, uh, a sports museum inside a bar. I mean, it was, <laughs> people loved to walk around there and look at all the pictures and the artifacts there. But it was the it's characters. It's the first thing that, people did when they walked in, right? Is they hadn't oh, been I there know. before. They didn't go to a table. They went around looking at the pictures and all the right. memorabilia up on the wall. And everybody whose picture was in there at one time, at least, was in that bar once, as I'm told. Um, you know, the actress Jane Mansfield, Milton Berle, Muhammad Ali had been there. Um, you name it. They they heard about this place. And Jimmy and Johnny took care of these people. They protected them. Um, and they, um, you know, they, they had a great time there. And they, it got the name AC from Doc Green, who was a Detroit news columnist of it was a regular drinking patron there, and it was kind of like a, a left hook aimed at the Detroit Athletic Club, uh, the DAC, and so he called it a, he said, we'll call it the Lindell AC Athletic Club. And it, oh, it that went was from, from there. Doc Green. Okay, a legendary yeah. writer himself. Okay, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, he sure was. Oh, yeah, what a, what a character I guess he was. And um, and then there were, you know, it made some national attention uh, with some brawls that occurred there. <laughs> Um, and I, I, so I, I wrote a lot of the copies for this exhibit, um, and just give you a highlight of the, the, the fights that went on there. One was the, was the wrestler Dick the Bruiser started a brawl there. It started out as a publicity stunt with Alex Karras, who at the time was suspended uh, by the NFL for gambling. Sure. And Alex at the time was a part owner of the bar with Johnny and Jimmy, and he actually tended bar there during his suspension. And, but he was also a wrestler. He wrestled on the side. And um, so he and Dick the Bruiser, a famous other former uh, football player, actually, was um, they had this match at Olympia Stadium. They weren't selling tickets. The Bruiser said to Alex, we got to sell some tickets. We'll meet at the Lindell. We'll get into an argument. We'll get the media there. Well, to make a long, long story short, um, he started, uh, Dick the Bruiser started uh, yelling at Johnny Boots you're the owner of this joint, you know, just would give him a hard time. And one of the Boots of Karras cousins or an uncle walked in and saw him looking like he's getting ready to fight Jimmy. He took a cue stick and beat it, uh, knocked a bruiser over the head with this thing, and it started a real fight. And it ended up on the front page of the newspaper. Uh, he, bruiser, injured, like broke the fingers of a Detroit cop. Um, and ended up, they ended up selling out Olympia Stadium. <laughs> it worked, but it, it made a big headline. Um, and then Billy Martin punched out one of his pitchers with the Minnesota Twins when Billy was a manager for the Twins. There was a big scuffle outside the bar, and he knocked his own pitcher out. And then there was another big one in 1980. Um, 18 off-duty off Pontiac police officers um, 
got into a huge brawl there. In fact, Dave Jackson, who's the son-in-law of Jimmy Butikaris, will be there on Saturday night. He had, Dave was one of the um, bouncers, and um, he ended up in the hospital on that one. So there's some real <laughs> stories that came out of that and some movies, uh, one, one in a Million, the Ronald Ford story, CBS Television. That was uh, there's obviously the undelayed EC connection I talked about. Jimmy B and Andre, another movie that was uh, executive produced by Alex Karras. That's uh, this young uh, black. And his wife, uh, his wife at the time. Yeah, Susan Clark. Right. They uh-huh. they co-produced it and they started. And Alex played Jimmy Butzikaris, and it aired on March 19th, 1980, on CBS. And Jimmy. Um, or Andre was a, a young uh, kid who was really in a bad situation where he lived, and um, I think his mother was a drug addict, and uh, Jimmy took him under his wing, and um, he ended up working at the bar, and so that story came out of that. In fact, they say that the TV show Webster that Alex Karras and his wife Susan Clark did, um, that that was somewhat based on this uh, experience with uh with Andre Reynolds. Yeah, I was um, just going to mention that. You know, while there's a lot of stories about brawls or fights, there's there's many, many more about all the good things that came out of the Lindell AC. Oh, yeah. Many different ways that people were helped or supportive or, or rookie oh, yeah. players were, you know, encouraged, all kinds of wonderful stories that came out of it. And how nice right. that uh, Tracy Irwin-Smith and and uh, his, her, her team are – putting this exhibit up and showing some of the history. And you're right, the Detroit 67 Project is still at the Detroit Historical Museum. They just do such a wonderful job. I mean, let's, I just want to make a mention that, you know, to join the Detroit Historical Museum, you can get a, students can get a membership for $25. I've got the, what's called the Collector Society. It's $50 a year. You get so many perks. I mean, anybody can go see the free films they they show yeah. or the fundraisers like the one Saturday night, you get a discounted rate if you're a member. But I always like to say one of the best perks is the free parking every time you want to go to the museum because they have an event to go there all the time that that's free. Right. And anybody can go to the museum for free as well. Every day it's it's available for families to go there for free. So yeah. I think you and I are both great big supporters of Detroit Historical Society. But this event Saturday night, six to ten is as Bill Dow, freelance sports writer who's real involved in uh Helping with the copy on the new exhibit, Lindell A. C. America's first sports bar in the Wrigley Hall. Not sure where the Wrigley Hall is. Is that? It's, it's uh, downstairs, actually. It's over by the. Um, there's a theater there, and that's the theater where they'll be showing the um, um, the movie uh, Meet Me at the Lindell. So um, okay. it's right next to that. It's a very. It's a big room. It's a nice exhibit space. You're right. I know where place. it is now. And that is a wonderful theater where they show films and have speakers, the Thursday night speaker series, and just a wonderful s- facility that the Detroit right. Historical Museum has and all the great events they put on through the Detroit Historical Society. Well, Bill, you know, we want people to go to that event, but let's talk a little bit about some of the other things that you've been involved in. Um, you're involved in the film about Tiger Stadium, when, you know, such a... Right. You we really put a lot of time and effort into trying to save Tiger Stadium. You want to talk a little bit about that and the and you're involved sure. in writing a book about that and also the film that came out. And uh, yeah. speak to the speak to the couple that did this movie on Lindell AC because I got the feeling when I heard them uh, you did a panel talk about that this summer and they, they really put their heart and soul into that film. Uh, on the Lindell film, they did. And yeah. Um, you know, Jason and his uh, writing partners did a, did a wonderful job. Um, they were actually Jim Branstadter had some audio cassette tape of an interview that he had done with Jimmy Butikaris. And my understanding is that he was thinking about writing a book 
about the bar or about Jimmy. And some of the, there's a, so you hear a lot of Jimmy Butchikaris's voice in this film. And they interviewed, um, you know, uh, different people about, gosh, Mickey Redmond, Dave Rosema, uh, Dave Jackson, Terry Foster's mother, different people that tell the story about about that bar and its place in Detroit history. It, you know, it's been on public television locally here twice as part of fundraisers, and uh, people have really responded well to it. Um, yeah, what I love about these things is we start realizing that, wow, I was, I was all, I was, you know, that was part of my life at the time, or, you know, whenever people were telling the history of things, and we get to sort of reframe it in the context of our own lives. And, right. and and just how wonderful it was, like, being a part of the Hiker Stadium, going to ball games there and everything, and people like yourselves that were trying to save it. Uh, yep. to talk about that experience. Sure. You really put a well, lot of time and effort into that. Right. I got involved with the Tiger Stadium Fan Club in 1990. It was founded by um, some uh, Detroit residents, people who worked there, such as Frank Rashid, who I actually uh, co-wrote a book uh, on Tiger Stadium that came out last year. Um, called Tiger Stadium Essays and Memories with uh, Mike Betzel, the former Free Press reporter, John Davids, who's the architect of the um, uh, Cochran Plan, which is the plan to try to save Tiger Stadium. But we worked on that effort. Uh, gosh, well, the fan club was founded in um, 80, uh, 87, and then we went all the way up to the Michigan Supreme Court on a case in 1996. But we tried to save it because of, you know, the historic this historical significance of the ballpark. There was a renovation plan, not too unlike what was done at Wrigley Field. So you've got two of these classic ballparks still there and very successful, Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. And we were hoping that the same could have done happened with Tiger Stadium. And we were also opposed to the idea of public subsidies for new stadiums and so forth. But that story was uh, some um, Gary Glazer and Richard Bach did a film called Stand at the Corner about that effort to save the ballpark. And I know that uh, film has been played also at the Detroit Historical Museum. So the book that we did on history of the ballpark um, talks about the evolution of when it, from Bennett Park, one of the wooden um, uh, ballpark, uh, started in 1896 right there at Michigan and Trumbull, all the way through when it became Maven Field, Briggs Stadium, Tiger Stadium. And um, we've got a lot of, you know, I interviewed a lot of people for the book, um, former players like Rocky Calavito, foot, you know, football players, umpires, vendors, fans. So we've got a lot of oral history in it. It also, like I say, the, the evolution of the ballpark itself and also about the effort, to, you know, part of it is the effort to try to save it. But um, so it's, um, yeah, so I think I think people would enjoy it. And, and Bill, at that time, what was the argument for not? I mean, I remember it, but not real clearly the argument for not saving it. You know, because it was a grass field. There's so many things about it that were classic. You know, ballpark. Right? Well, well, there was a there was an argument that was being made that, um, but the Tigers were uh, marketed very heavily by HOK out of Kansas City that was has been building a lot of these new stadiums and convince them that, you know, you got to start over. You know, you're not going to be able to get the luxury suites and the concessions that you need for the revenue in this ballpark. I remember Bud Selig speaking at the Detroit Economic Club saying the Tigers could never not win a world championship in a renovated Tiger Stadium. Well, I think the Boston Red Sox have, what, won three, you know, in, in, in a renovated Fenway Park. The Chicago Cubs won a world championship in Wrigley Field. We did have a plan to renovate it and put luxury suites in the ballpark, taking out 40% of the posts in the upper deck, 
Some people said the stadium was falling down. Um, well, what happened was the, the Tigers, as I'm told, um, to people who worked there, kind of stopped maintaining it for a few years in the 90s, and, you know, things weren't kept up like they should have been. Actually, the city hired at one time a structural firm to check out the stadium to see if it was structurally sound. And there was a firm that was out there a month measuring the steel, testing all kinds of things. And I remember asking Frank Fennec, who was a former groundskeeper, you know, what was the verdict? And the person said, this this thing could stand for another 100 years. It's basically overbuilt. Um, and um, But I, I guess it was that, you know, people didn't have the vision at the time. However, now you wonder the way the city has um, all the great development that's happening if, who knows, but, you know, it, just like the Hudson's building, you know, I bet they wish that was still standing now. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, just think what could have been done with that in this current environment. But the timing wasn't right. And like I said, it was, um, you know, the idea of getting a, a new stadium um, was something that, uh, you know, people got behind the politicians and other people. And, you know, it's uh, it happened. So. And so now, now it's called the corner, right? And it's uh, residential, right. and um, the police athletic league yeah. is in there, and build institute. Yeah. So there's some some good things happening. But in you yeah. know, in hindsight, for your own efforts, you know, it's always yeah. tough. I think it's important to tell the back history of things, though, that there were a whole sure. lot of people that did want that stadium to stay yeah. up. I know I went and ran around the the bases a few times, you know, before. It right. kind of came down, and, and yet at the same time, I was there this summer in, in a function where we had we got to do batting practice on the field, and I was like, wow, this right. feels pretty good. So yeah, it's, uh, no, it's great but, that Detroit. It's great that uh, sports are still being played there, and baseballs there. There's not like a a, a Bigfoot uh, warehouse or some, you know, at least the the stadium, the, the history of the site um, is still being used as an athletic field. I know there's there's living things. I wish wish it wasn't our official turf, but. Um, and there could have been um, there could have been some of the structures saved, uh, but it was torn down before Detroit Pal got involved. And um, but that's another story. There's a lot. But I do think that. it is important to always keep the, the story out there, the backstory. You know that there, the yeah. backstories are so important, as like they say at the Detroit Historical Society, uh, bringing the past to the present, right? Because it all has plays a part right. in, in the past to the present to the future. And, uh, you know, just looking at a lot of the different stories that you wrote, there's a, there's a lot. But you wrote one about the Beatles. That, and you, yeah. just, you briefly had told me about it. Get into that oh, one right. a little bit. Well, you know, I was thinking of um, we were talking about doing an interview. What are some of my favorite stories? And the one that was the most challenging but probably the most interesting for me was one I did in our Detroit magazine on when the Beatles came to Detroit uh, for uh, two shows on uh, September the 6th, 1964. And um, when I started to write the article, you know, I always, before I start, you know, I have to do some background research before I start interviewing people. And I found out when I went through the microfilm that there was a newspaper strike. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am really stuck now. <laughs> there was a strike newspaper, and it had like three paragraphs about the concert. And so I had to really do my investigating. And I, I made some calls around to some different people. Unfortunately, I found a guy named Art Shergan. At the time, was 76 years old. Now, this goes back to 2001. He was living in, a, in Birmingham, and he was the promoter. He's the one who advanced $50,000, can you believe that, for uh, two shows to have the Beatles wow. at Olympia Stadium. And um, and then I, was, I got a hold of Bob Green, who was the, 
the WKNR. He was in Houston at the time, and he gave me some tapes that he had done for KNR when the Beatles arrived at Metro Airport. And I, I found out some things. I always thought they stayed at the Sheridan Cadillac. It turns out they stayed at the Whittier, you know, right on the river, right across from Indian Village. Right in Jefferson and, there, yeah. Yeah. So out of curiosity, I was just I was wondering, I wonder what it was like for them. What did they look at when they were down there? So I called the Whittier, and I, I said, do you mind if I come down? And would anybody know where the Beatles might have stayed? I'm thinking there's a penthouse. And it was a retirement community at the time. And the person said, you know, the history gets passed down. They said, no, yeah, we know where they stayed. And um, it was, uh, I think it was room 50, it was a top floor room. And it was the, it was a kind of a penthouse that Horace Dodge Jr. used to always use. And um, so they let me go up there. And no one was living in that uh, space. There was a fireplace that, you know, the paint's all, you know, chipping off. But you could see that in its day it was very elegant, you know, like, they're like four better. It's a very big suite. So I go downstairs after I go through this, you know, making my observations, and I ask the person at the front desk, is there any chance anybody could still be working in this building that might have been here in 1964? He goes, no, no, I don't. And he goes, wait a minute. He gets on his walkie-talkie, and he calls up a gentleman, a custodian, who he wouldn't give me his last name. His first name was John because he didn't want his name in this thing, but He'd been there since 1958 as a custodian, and he told me what he saw. He took them down the freight elevator, believe it or not. He said the kids uh, broke the revolving bar door at the hotel. Um, there were all these fans out there when they found out they were at the Whittier. And he helped them go down the freight elevator, and they got into a black, unmarked step van, which they often they didn't go in limousines. A lot of people, they'd go in flower trucks. They'd go on all these things so that you know, people wouldn't know. And um, so he gave me this. You know, this whole description, I just got lucky there. But um, then I interviewed people who were at the concert and found out, believe it or not, they only played for 30 minutes. They played 12 songs. The uh, the highest ticket price was $5. And, wow. Um, and, and somebody, uh, an attorney, actually um, uh, ended up, who was, uh, or actually was a law student at the University of Michigan, called the Whittier manager. I don't know if you remember this, Emily, at all, but they they cut up the bed sheets where the Beatles stayed, and this guy made these little tiny swatches and put it on stationery and was selling swatches of the bed sheets that the Beatles stayed in. Oh, my uh, goodness. So some of the Beatle hysteria that was going on. But it was fun, you know, interviewing people who were behind the show and who attended it. And um, so that was fun, that kind of... Well, tell me this, you know, uh, Bill Dow is a, is a freelance writer you, I know you love music too. Is that what kind of took you back to that story, or is there something that you remembered that made you want to write that story? And of course, well, our magazine. Yeah. There's so many wonderful publications throughout Detroit now, whether online or or hard copy right. magazines. And our our magazine, uh, R.J. Uh, King and who Steve Wilkie was probably the editor then. Maybe. Right. I know uh, uh, it was uh, Rick, Rick Boy back then. Okay. Um, yeah, but um, so what what well, led you to wanting to do that story, or how do you pick out what you're going to do? So many that I see here have been about sports, but how did you happen to come yeah. up with that storyline? Well, in that case, uh, it was in 2001. The Beatles anthology book and movie were coming out, so there was this kind of resurgence in Beatles history. And um, when the Beatles came here, I was nine years old, and I was you know fetched with them as a nine year old, seeing them on Ed Sullivan. 
and I, of course, I didn't get tickets. Uh, couldn't get tickets to the show. My sister wasn't was unable to get it. My older sister, but so I was always fascinated to learn about. Wait, that, did you say that. your older sister got tickets? No, she didn't. She tried. Oh, okay. But she, had, okay. she couldn't. She didn't get them. But um, so I was always curious about it, and so I thought, what the heck? I'm going to look into it. And you know, they were such a huge um, influence in our culture. Um, it changed so much of everything. You know, music, dress. Um, and so the significance. So obviously they had this history in Detroit. You know, I even talked to this is kind of interesting. I talked to Larry Kane, who was a, at the time a, a news anchor in Philadelphia. He was only one of two um, reporters who traveled with the Beatles, and he was in, at a Miami radio station at the time. And I interviewed Larry Kane, and I said, "What was it like to travel with them in '64?" And he said everything is a, ran together. He couldn't specifically remember what it was like at the Whittier, but he said all these guys did. They couldn't go anywhere. So they'd stay in the hotel and they'd play Monopoly cards. They'd drink rum and Cokes, listen to local radio. Um, yeah, occasionally they had some girls too, but they were really held hostage because of the hysteria. Uh-huh. Um, so they couldn't really get out. And um, So he was able to paint that picture for me. You know, also, um, that's why they got, you know, they got tired of touring. Uh, two years later, they were done touring the last concert yeah, well, in 66. That's, that's the yeah. grind that you got to admire of every single band that's out there years after year after with each other and just right. the effort it takes. And uh, it's Bill Dow we're speaking with. Bill is a, a freelance sports writer. He's involved in the event that's coming up this Saturday at Detroit Historical Museum. It's put on by the Detroit Historical Society, a fundraiser. And that's uh, the opening of their latest exhibit called Lindell AC, America's First Sports Bar, and also the showing of the movie Lindell AC. And they'll have it all set up like a restaurant and the old uh, – they were wonderful French fries and burgers that yeah. were at the at the Lindell AC. But the Bill's been a, a freelance sports writer and all kinds of things that he's written about. What would you say to someone? Because so many, I meet a lot of people that say they want to be writers. I mean, you just got to do it, right? I, right. I flunked out of college, and it was I was told I was the worst writer. It took me years to get over that. And then yeah. somebody here on, on the Big Island invited me to write a column, and I wrote a column, kind of the same style I used when I was told I was a terrible writer in college, and people said, right. oh, I love your columns, so I wrote columns for years and still do, but it, the biggest thing is to just do it, isn't it? Find somewhere it where you can publish, even if you don't yep. get it published, write a story and then send it in places, or, but, you know, yep. you've been so prolific, and you've been, you know, honored in many nice ways in the, in the publications that have run your freelance stories, but what, what would you say to someone like, oh, I want to be a writer. Well, you know, they say write what you know about or what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. And when I started, you know, I had never written a freelance article at all. At all, but so I, as a stay-at-home dad, I approached Metro Parent Magazine, and I said, I, "This is the first article I wrote was um, be, what it's like being a stay-at-home father." And so no I did a kidding. piece for that. Yeah, wow. and, then, and then I did some writing as a freelancer for the Open Press and uh, Richard Bach, who's written a lot of. Detroit history books. Um, Richard helped me. He was a regular freelance writer for Our Detroit, and he was researching a book on um, Charles Lindbergh. And he said, "Hey, would you mind doing some?" I did a little bit of research for him also, and he said uh, Charles Lindbergh lived over by Cranbrook in 1942-43 because he was an advisor to uh, Henry Ford at the Willow Run bomber plant. And um, so I did some investigating on that. Found that they rented a house at 643 Cranbrook Road right there on Woodward Avenue at the entrance of uh, 
Cranbrook, which that built that house is now owned by Cranbrook, and there's one other home. So I uh, researched that, wrote about that, I interviewed John Lindbergh, uh, Lindbergh's son, who was a renowned um, marine biologist who attended um, Brookside School Elementary. So I wrote that piece up. Um, and, well, what I did is I pitched it to the Oakland Press. They said, fine. I wrote it up. They liked it. And so, so I had two articles under my belt, you know. So then I proposed, I can't remember which one it was, at Our Detroit, and they saw the sample of what I had written and liked it. So I just kept pitching ideas for to them. And um, and then with the Detroit, um, with the Free Press sports page, um, I, I think the first one I did for them was uh, the last living member of the 35 world champion Detroit Lions, a guy named Glenn Presnell, and he was 94 years old, lived in Ohio. And I did a phone interview with him and um, so I wrote a piece on that about the very first Thanksgiving Day game at U of D Stadium. <laughs> um, and it was fascinating. He told me that he, helped, he and his wife helped out pick out the Honolulu blue and silver uniforms. Yeah, you uh, know what? Talk about that briefly because Tom Page, a good friend of mine, is always talking about that. And Gary Lightman, who is with U of D, that, that was where the first Thanksgiving Lions game was. was was held. To, to talk about that yeah. uh, briefly. Yeah, it was against the Chicago Bears, and uh, Blanco Nagurski and Red Greens were there with the Bears, and we had, you know, uh, we had Glenn Presnell, Dutch Clark, Ace Katowski. Um, it was it was uh, broadcast on uh, NBC Radio right there at University of Detroit Stadium on McNichols, and if you think about how you know how the NFL has grown from there. Um, you know, actually, one of the players on that Lions team was Buddy Parker, who later became the head coach of the Lions in the 50s and led them to, you know, uh, two world championships. And, um, and George Wilson was the head coach when they won in 57. But um, so the story there was interesting to think that. And then in 35, the following year, is when they beat the New York Gi- Giants to win the NFL World Championship. And that's when Detroit became known as the City of Champions because. 35, 36 is when you had the Wings win their first championship, the Tigers won their first world championship, um, the Lions, and then Joe Lewis. And so that's how we got the moniker. Um, and every year, by the way, and I think it's gosh, it's, it's um, coming up fairly soon, um, at the Detroit Historical Museum, they always have a special City of Champions Day. And uh, people come down there and uh, dis- discuss Detroit sports history and so forth. So well, all the more reason for people to get online to uh, DetroitHistorical.org yeah. and sign up, at least sign up for their email, complimentary right. email newsletter, which is wonderful. Right, right. Because of so, all those uh, events that they have going on. Well, I, I just love that, you know, how you got into it for myself. Same thing. I, I wanted to get around uh, people in golf, and I wanted to get around celebrities because I wanted to create a celebrity event in Hawaii. So I was able right. to get a press pass for the L.A. Open, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and would collect celebrity phone numbers and eventually did have a celebrity right. event here. But you've got to have a little hutzpah, right? You know, and I wanted and to. Passion, right? Yeah, and I wanted to get to know Arnold Palmer, who I had, I had just, you know, loved and had a crush on since I was about 10 years old when he. He actually uh, won the the uh, U.S. Amateur at Country Club of Detroit. That's where he really decided he could become a professional golfer. But since I was yeah. a kid, I just loved him. I played golf, played competitive golf. And uh, being over here in Hawaii, I was able to be around Oliver Palmer a lot. But it was all – that's how I started writing. It wasn't that I was a good writer. I just kind of started writing with a passion about – 
people right. that I had a passion about. So this is to everybody out there who's like, how do I get, how do I start writing? How do I get published? You just send it in places. You find, you can find people that'll do it. First radio station right. I ever went to, they said, you have a list, you know, you need to take speech classes. And I started to take speech classes. And then I thought, oh, I'll go to a different radio station, <laughs> which yeah. I did. Um, <laughs> so I was on that radio station for years. Well, that's, you know, there's another thing I got to tell you, Emily. The one thing I'd like to see you write about is your own book, actually, because this, the, the, your history in the city and what you did in promoting when no one else was doing it, you were the first one, and just all your experiences, not only with that, with the store, with the the runs, the marathon, and the Hawaii, and what you and Pooh did, and just that whole thing, I think there's a great stories to be told, and you must have a lot of them. Someday you're going to do that. Well, I feel like I tell those stories a lot every day on social media and through um, videos that I'm now curating. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm always writing for grants, hoping I'll get one to really curate a lot of this. Uh, you know, we used to do a yeah. lot of Tommy Hearns promotions. And, you know, right. and I go through the boxes of the pictures and run into those people that we did so many things with. It's, it is really wonderful. And I think for all of us, you know, journaling or even, like you say, write about what you're passionate about. So I, I really, you know, say that to anybody of whatever age you're at. If you've got something to say, write it and say it and get it out right. there. Because these stories, particularly if they're about the past in Detroit, these these stories about the history in Detroit are really important to share. Uh, yep. with so many talented people who can continue sharing those stories. Right. Well, now, Bill, people, oh, yeah. so, Emily, I really enjoyed talking with you. What 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 would you say to you know young writers or even older writers any age whatever people that have something they want to say? I think you know there's a lot of places you know um, different blogs that are out there. Um, there's numerous websites. There's you can look up on the line you know how to start freelance writing and where you can start uh, submitting story ideas and some of the articles that you can have, but. Even it's so simple as people want to think about doing their own family history. I, I, invariably, you know, there's so many great stories that a lot of our, you know, we think back and God, I wish I interviewed my grandfather who was in World War One, or, you know, people like that, just to start gathering your own family history and preserving it. And um, and you'll never know what kind of stories you could find out. People love human interest stories, and they're out there, and they're stories that should be shared. And um, um, and so it's it's just trying to find the thing you want to write about and what interests you and in finding that venue and, and just being persistent about it. Yeah, I realize how many stories just around Detroit that I've done, you know, from, you know, James Verner's when they had the 150th anniversary at the Jury right. Historical Museum to uh, the ladies that did from the um, – uh, this is a Jewish uh, community center that did the wonderful baseball exhibit of the Jewish players in, in baseball. Mm -hmm. That right. was a few years yeah. ago at Detroit Historical Museum. That was a yeah. wonderful exhibit. But uh, all the different ways that the people can express that, that they're interested in, one of them for sure is to be writers. Another one is podcasts. I mentioned you earlier when I called you that I had not done a, a podcast for a while. I've done hundreds of podcasts and was on ESPNHawaii.com for many years. And one of the reasons is now I'm listening to so many podcasts. I have so many right. friends and associates from – you know, friends, we have mutual friends, whether it's Michael Patrick Shields or, 
right. Paul W. Smith or, you know, 9, 10 a.m. Or you know, there's just other people just doing, you know, every day I find another podcast, The Debrief. I found Differently Detroit, uh, friends that are doing podcasts. And it's wonderful to hear them be so comfortable just telling stories about their associates right. or people that they know. And we always said that saying nice things about Detroit, all we were ever saying was, Share an experience that you've had in Detroit or about a friend of yours, about somebody who's doing good things in Detroit. And that's right. essentially what you've been doing when you write these stories, is you're saying wonderful things about Detroiters who have added to the the wonderful fabric of sports in, in Detroit. That it's, well, that's why it's considered a great sports town. Yeah, it really is. And I think the Detroit Foundation Hotel's got a little podcast studio, don't they? They do, and just for those that don't know, that people are, are, you know, it's there for the public to use. Uh, you can you can sign up to do a podcast there. They, it's complimentary, and uh, they put you on the schedule. And I think it's been a wonderful asset so far. The people that have yeah. been using it, and then Hillary Sawchuk does her a drink with, which is a wonderful podcast. I was honored to be her first guest two years ago uh, when they oh, first nice. opened the podcast studio, but. Uh, so we'll have to get down there and do a podcast with Bob Lambert and some of the others, and, and for sure. So it's Bill Dow, and again, we want to remind you that this Saturday uh, is the fundraiser at Detroit Historical Museum. You can go to DetroitHistorical.org on their website and find out about tickets there. I think they're $100 and a little for the members and maybe a little more for non-members, but it's going to be a great yeah, hundred. Yeah, hundred for um, non-members, seventy-five for members. Seventy-five. Great okay. way to yeah, great way to sign up for uh, and really get to know the museum. There's a lot of great exhibits there besides the sixty-seven exhibit, which won two national awards. By the way, there's a Kid Rock Music Lab. Uh, there's Detroit Underground Railroad, um, Arsenal of Democracy, America's Motor City. Um, there's got the Alice Gallery of Culture has got some really nice artifacts in there of Detroit history, but it's it's a fun place and it's very very interesting. People like it if they haven't been there yet. Yeah, and this is this is going to be a nice event celebrating an, an era of the Lindell AC, and 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 you can get your dinner there too that night because you're going to have burgers and beer in the recreated yes. Lindell. So yep. Uh, yep. and catered by Royale with cheese, they do a nice job that that catering. Right. So right. well, thanks, Bill. Appreciate. You have them the you. time. And, you Thanks, know, let's Emily. give some acknowledgement to, I think, uh, Rebecca Solomon Witt, who is uh, the uh, development director at Detroit Historical Museum, and, of course, uh, right. Tracy Irwin-Smith, and Gary North, who works on the exhibits with Tracy, and Ilana yeah. Ruhl, who is the new um, uh, CEO at Detroit Historical Museum. They just uh, just keep creating more talks and tours and everything. It's amazing yeah. the amount of activity that comes out of the Detroit Historical Museum. Very much so. Okay. Now, thanks thanks so much, Emily. All right. Aloha. Nice to talk with you. Aloha. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Aloha.